This is Bonjour Chai, the Rabbis Throwing Chairs edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Toronto and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, what is the future of progressive Zionism in Canada? We have convened a star panel to find out. But first, Alana, David, how are you guys? I am in Florida, finally, Um, so I feel good to be in the sun, but I went through a crazy, crazy experience the other day, which I'll tell you about in a second, because first off, just to do a little uh, throwback to last week's episode, I need to tell you about something that I found on the internet. So on eBay, someone was selling the Rebecca Rubin American Girl doll, the Jewish one that we talked about last week, and it says, I have changed her looks by straightening her hair. Oh no, how dare someone keep their Jewish curly hair? What do you think about that? (laughs) I mean, I I, I got my Jufro, it's coming in. I I haven't cut my hair in like six weeks. So you can see I've got my curly hair, Alana, right now. And for all the listeners, uh, I'm in favor of the fro. I like it. I think we should keep it. I just, it's something that I never really thought about when I was younger, but someone had pointed out to me a couple of years ago that, um, you know, a lot of people that I went to school with who had curly hair would always straighten it. And then there's also that stereotype of a lot of Jewish girls getting nose jobs. And it's like, are we trying to make ourselves look less stereotypically Jewish? I never thought about that when I was in high school. I I have straight hair, so I never really fell into this category, but I have observed it in others. So you already felt like you were in the assimilated world with your straight hair. (laughs) Not really. I actually always wanted curly hair. I I, I like it. It The grass is always greener. Yeah, exactly. As as the uh, the sole member of this group that is follicularly challenged, you know, like I, I took a haircut uh, five days ago. Yeah, I, I do it myself once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of things that we do that are, you know, help us blend into the mainstream. And uh, not that I'm saying that hair straightening good or bad or whatever. Um, I don't know. Like, David, you don't wear a kippa all the time, right? It's a way to like being more mainstream. That's okay. Yeah, that, that, that's quite true. Right. The keepa wouldn't even really stick on my head. It would always fall off with this kind of fro going on. That's true. You might need some That's Vel- why you have clips. You might need some Velcro. Or the Velcro. Right. Oh my gosh, Velcro I forgot about those keepas. Velcro keepas. But you had a more bonkers... Alana, you, you, have a, you wrote about this in the CJM. Oh. That was not even the craziest party of oh week, gosh. you know? No, it really wasn't. Um, I... <laughs> I had a wedding on Sunday, which actually Avi and I were both at, at the wedding. I went to Toronto for a wedding. Which was fun. Was I not invited? <laughs> it was just a ceremony. Um, and then I uh, went to bed super early because I had to leave on a very early flight the next day to Florida. But of course, as we know, there was a giant snowstorm. And then I spent over 12 hours waiting in this airport. And they didn't cancel the flight until the last minute. And they said, if we don't clear the snow by this time, the pilot's done his shift. And that means it's not going to go. And then they, of course, canceled it. They could have let let us know earlier in the day, all these flights were being canceled for other places. But they just kept all the Florida people sitting in this room. Also, there there was a lot of Jews, which is the stereotype is real. All the Jews in Florida. I feel like I've been seeing Jews everywhere. I saw like five keepas at the beach yesterday. But anyway, that's not an important anecdote. Um, But yeah, it was it was really bad. And uh, I'm very glad that I finally made it the next day. Avi, you were stuck, eh? Because you came into Toronto. Well, no, I I planned to stay for a few days. um, Because once I was there, I was there and I was going to see people and stuff. But the plan wasn't that everything should be closed and 
bars were closed and restaurants were closed and except for takeout and um and then monday morning everything everything right. was closed so like you know in montreal what happens is and i it, to be fair it, it was a significant amount of i think the total was like 36 to 40 centimeters yeah that they had which to, for toronto is a which lot in montreal is not a giant snowstorm it's yeah. a snowstorm for montreal and i didn't expect that like the entire city shuts down so, you know, I was staying up, up north because it was close to where the wedding was. And uh, the only thing I can see from the my vantage point at the hotel was the massive Vaughn Mills outlet mall. I was like, great, I'm stuck up north. I'm going to walk across the street. And uh, and by walk across the street literally means it's still a five minute walk because because northern burbs are, you know, it's vast wastelands of things. Um, I walk into this mall and it's huge. It's a very, very large mall. And 80 percent of the stores were closed. Because, like, just nobody bothered to show up because um, it was a snowstorm. And the next day also, things were closed. And so I ended up coming in last night. I did some stuff. I saw my sister. I saw I had some meetings. But, like, at the end of the day, um, Toronto but kind of, you know, bringing me down a bit. Yeah. Well, you didn't get to do much. Also, it's funny because they were supposed to reopen schools on the day of the snowstorm. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> D- David, you didn't have a snowstorm in Calgary, I'm assuming. No, we, we're Chinooking right now, so we're at like six degrees right now. So we we've had our our snowstorm. Oh, shush. Oh yeah. See, that's the great thing that no one realizes about uh, Calgary is we go through terrible, terrible snowstorms, and my parents are like, ha ha ha, enjoy your time in this you know minus twenty five degree weather. But then two weeks later, you don't even need a jacket when you step outside. You're 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 cruising and you're sailing, and the sun is shining on your face. I feel like I should work for Tourism Alberta at some point because I'm really trying to you know sell. Yes with your Stenson hat (laughs) that takes me back it's funny I woke up early Sunday morning and I left the house and the car um, I drove because for a variety of reasons and the uh, the display on the car um, the 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 temperature said minus 27.5 and oh my god as I'm driving further and further to Toronto the numbers just keep climbing up it was like the reverse (laughs) of the gas gauge the numbers are going down on that and the numbers and i finally like i realized that it was minus three when i arrived in toronto and so i had a a 24 degree right shift just from like driving from montreal to toronto and then the same thing happened in reverse last night it was kind of uh, weird and funny um yeah but we can't really like um talk about last week without mentioning uh at some point the events that happened last saturday in uh colleyville texas uh, Congregation Beth Israel uh, ha- was having their Shabbat morning services and uh, they were live streaming them and a gunman comes in and uh, takes them all hostage, wants to free a captive. It's a whole complicated story. They were live streaming this hostage situation for two hours before the like the feed gets cut. Um, but Rabbi Charlie Sidron Walker, you got to love a story where the rabbi is the hero, right? It's not the FBI coming in or the SWAT teams or anything like that. This guy was like trained. He was calm, cool, collected. I have like multiple... F- uh, colleagues who were colleagues with him it's like a it's like a one or two degree of separation with him and like he was the one that like made this plan and kept walking them have you heard read this like he was walking them towards the door like moving the the hostages closer and closer to the door and at some point he just like threw a chair and tells everybody to like run like there's a badass rabbi to like look look up to this could have taken a, t- a turn for the worse I, I i'm really curious and they did a great analysis in the new york times on sort of the the moment by moment events of what happened in the synagogue itself which is 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 great to read this could have taken a turn for the worse we don't know what would have happened if he you know when he threw the chair the gunman could have reacted terribly there could have been gunfire and people could have been injured and tragically loss of life could have happened luckily nothing like that did happen but you know these things are, are we worried that these things are going to happen more and more often? And will there be copycats happening in the future? Uh, 
I think the great worrying thing about everything that I've read and I've seen about this is that this gunman actually thought that he could convince this rabbi, get this rabbi to contact another rabbi in New York to get the this person in jail freed. And, and this is the worrying thing that this is like the great Jewish conspiracies going on that these Jews all are in league with each other. They know each other. Except that it's true. All rabbis know oh, it. All rabbis know each oh, other. Oh, really? You're just after this. You're just going to phone. You're going to call up the New York rabbi and talk about everything that went down. I mean, look. If somebody put a gun to my head and said, "Call Rabbi Angela Buchdahl and like let her know to do this," I, I, I would. I, do you have her on speed dial? I don't have her on speed dial, but I can probably get her on speed. This is like what's the Who Knows One? Remember that game that was playing during the pandemic? I know. 20 rabbis at least that would have her on speed dial that would get me through to her right away. And I like introduce myself and Hey, I'm a rabbi in Texas in Montreal. And this is the situation. Uh, do what you can, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like Jews, know Jews, Jews do know. You could probably, you probably know somebody, you you have two degrees of separation from the rabbi in New York from Rabbi Angela Buchdahl. Quite possibly. And, I'm curious, Avi, what you think then is, you know, as a rab- as a oh, yeah. as a rabbi and your, and your wife who's a rabbi, is this going to, has this really had an effect in the back of your mind when you attend services? Are you thinking all the time? Because I know I, I have a story where well, I, I'm was, not, I was worried. I'm not going to services this week. I've decided. Um, but that's because there are no services still in Quebec. Side note. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, the thing is, this is not the first time something like this has happened. Like there was the Pittsburgh shooting and there's like been so many incidents you know, to me, this is mo- one of the many that have been happening, and they're all they're all scary. Yeah, um, I don't see this as an individual. I, I, you know. Again, I'm not going to play the anti-Semitism skeptic here. Um, these are bad stories, but there is a lot of safety that is happening. Uh, for every story like this happens, I am sure. There are dozens and dozens that were thwarted even before they got started or that they were thwarted by well-done security that is properly taken care of and visible, um, you know, points of like cameras and security guards. Um, things things happen and they're scary and they're bad. And, uh, you know, we are, I don't know, like, I'm not sure that there are things that we can do to prevent everything from happening. Right? No, but we can take meaningful. But we can take meaningful action, both as a community, as people who attend services, and even lay people who may be better prepared to deal with what I foresee is is coming down the pipeline. Yeah, so he, in a sense, he he is a great example of this was a synagogue where a guy was just able to walk in, but he was adequately prepared and he had been received training on what to do in these types of situations. Right. It is kind of scary that they didn't have anyone at the door because I feel like most shuls will have security for these kinds of incidences. I don't know. Yeah. You know, there, there's one example that happened last summer. I was at my, my, my temple here. We were attending services. People were entering the sanctuary. And then all of a sudden this guy, this random guy enters. I don't recognize him. He starts talking and sort of like he edges his way towards the sanctuary. And my, my brain starts ringing alarm bells and I don't know what to do. And the guy says, uh, who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? He seemed a bit off. And I was thinking, what do I do? I want to be both welcoming and open because in the back of my mind as a Jew, I'm thinking I don't want someone to think negatively about you know this bad Jew at a synagogue. But at the same time, I blocked the way from him to enter the sanctuary he was asking for help. He wanted bus fare money. He needed money. And I just said, I don't have any, unfortunately, on me. And it took about six or seven minutes to convince him in a very matter-of-fact, friendly way to leave. But I was thinking this could have taken a turn for the worse. 
And I, I didn't have any knowledge on how to deal with something like this. Yeah, um, I think we just need to become better and more informed citizens. Um, you know, and, and there's no equivalence, but it's absolutely horrible. If you look at, for example, sexual assault, right? How many women are victims of sexual assault? Right. It's, it's most. A, most. It's a ridiculous number, right? Um, are we doing something in, as a society to reduce this number? Yeah, but not nearly enough. Um, are women taking measures to make sure that they feel more secure? Yeah. Sometimes it's something small, like carrying something that can be used as a weapon. Sometimes it's training yourself in self-defense. Sometimes it's learning to identify red flags when you see something really sketchy on, um, you know, on a, on a dating site or on a date. Um, but at the end of the day, like the change doesn't happen and cannot happen overnight. And we're always going to have things that will fall through the cracks. And I think that as a community, we are doing an amazing job in preventing the vast majority of things from happening. And we'll never really prevent the majority of things from happening. What happens next time when somebody learns from this and says, you know what, maybe next time I'm going to put on a kippah and I'm going to try to like do something a little better and walk into three synagogues and walk out so that I ask for bus fare and sort of get the lay of the land so that the fourth time that I walk in, I can do this. And, know, and, and get through the security guards, right? There's always going to be somebody that's planning. There's always going to be something that's going to be moving forward. I don't know. It sounds like you're just obfuscating and sort of saying it, it will be the way it is and we're just going to throw up our hands and, and deal with it. I think we can take some more proactive measures. No, I'm measures. saying that we have to train ourselves and we have to be proactive, but we also have to be smart and we also have to recognize that we'll never have 100% security. Oof. Well, I'm scared. <laughs> David, do you have do you have ideas when you when you bring this up about what would look like a more proactive measure? I know people, and this is specifically in the states. You know, there have been people saying rabbis and lay people should have guns, and I am nowhere anywhere in favor of you know of, of having our temple. Of course, they say that in the states. Of course, they do. So it's like you know, you walk into uh, the synagogue, and I'm sure there's AK-47s ready to go on a moment's notice. But you know, what people are really going to have proper training to be able to take down a shooter and not get hit, you know. Uh, Bobby Esther in the side. So I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. This feels like a bad video game. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it sounds like the next action movie where it's like a gut, like a whole shoot off between like the members of the congregation and this gunman and then it becomes a car chase scene. Because you want to remain, you want to have these synagogues that are still open and welcoming. And Avi's always about, you know, how do we encourage people to come back to temple, come back to synagogue? And if we continue to isolate and have, you know... Am I? Yeah, you, yeah no, your whole thing. I don't yeah, say that. That was the whole... I want people to be involved in Judaism. Doesn't mean coming back to synagogue. Your whole thing back in the day was, you know, no one is returning to the shul. No one is returning to the synagogue. We need to find ways to to, to make it happen. And and if we continue to have... Oh, I was just making an observation. Oh, just... To, I'm, <laughs> I think the best way that it. we can have secure shuls... I think the best way we can have secure shuls is to close all the shuls and everybody should just have... Oh, right. That like, was your take. ...in their homes with their small, like, you know, communities... You know, the best way, to, the most secure federation is a closed federation. Oh my God, this is a conversation for another wow. episode. <laughs> All right, um, I think... I, completely separate discussion. I think we're getting off course here. <laughs> All I'm saying is, I just think, I, I don't know if we as communities in synagogues need to have conversations about what to look for, how to identify people. When you're alarmed, like, I think we can trust our intuitions quite well as Jews. And I think if our alarm bells are going off, then we need to have some steps in place to sort of... To, to sort of know what does it look like. When we were kids in school, we were trained to look for things, you know, if see, if you see something, say something, those kind of things um, to, to have again and apply to synagogue services. Um, 
but I really don't know what the answers yeah, are. Yeah, but I mean, I guess my point is, is at the end of the day, um, there there are things that we do that are going to work and there are things that we do that are not going to work that, you know, are the quote unquote security theater um, that are less useful and less problematic. First of all, I'm not saying that we should close federations because that's the most secure. I'm just saying that in the extreme, right, the only way that you're going to make sure that nothing will happen to a building or a synagogue is to make sure that it's closed and, you know, nobody can get in. Um, but that's not what I'm saying here. Okay, let's make that clear. Um, I'm just trying to like point out that there can and might be more effective ways of being secure and while while still maintaining a certain sense of freedom and openness. Um, and that I'm not sure if what we are doing all the across the board is like the most effective thing. I was just going to say, send all your hate mail to Avi Feingold. That is Avi Feingold. Yeah, no, please don't send hate mail. But we, we do want to hear what you have to say. Um, if you have a comment or critique, um, send us an email about... Uh, this or any of the other topics at bonjour at the cjn.ca um, or you can join our slack channel um, by sending us an email to bonjour at the cjn.ca and uh, asking us to join and there you can chat about this and let us know what your ideas for security are or how to make things better um, we'd love to hear um, what you have to say and so uh, join the conversation Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom-designed jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com. This Sunday night, JSpace Canada is holding a virtual gala and symposium to celebrate their 10th anniversary. They have convened, as they say on their website, voices on the ground who are working to advance peace, shared society, and an end to the occupation. And they are also honoring their outgoing president, Dr. Karen Mock. We thought we would take this opportunity to explore what the future looks like in Canada for progressive Zionism, the new left, whatever you want to call it. With us today is Michael Morgenthau, who is a board member of JSpace Canada and the chair of their policy committee. Sharon Koifman, who founded a group called Progressive Zionists, which is a non-apologetic and non-compromising approach to achieving peace, helping progressives who love Israel to finally get on the offensive, and is the author of Israeli Activism on the Offensive. And Jeremy Appel, who is a Calgary-based progressive journalist and podcaster. Um, welcome to the Bonjour Chai, everybody. Pleasure to be here. Good being here. Excellent. Um, I'd like to start by just asking everybody in order, like, what do you guys think is the future of uh, progressive causes within the Jewish community in Canada, uh, where we stand now and where we, we hope to be going? Uh, Jeremy, let's get started with you. I think uh, what we're going to be seeing is a continuation of uh, a broader trend of increased skepticism towards the claims of the Israeli government. I think that the narrative that uh, I think we were all raised to believe um, that Israel is this small fortress of democracy surrounded by uh, powerful enemies that want to exterminate us is increasingly untenable. I mean, it's clear that Israel has become a symbol of the global far right. 
I mean, they were flying Israeli flags at the straight pride parade a few years ago. You know, Benjamin Netanyahu and now Neftali Bennett, who of course is to the right of him, have solidified alliances with like Viktor Orban in Hungary and Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, who at his rallies, they're flying Israeli flags. So um, I, I think it's increasingly difficult to see Israel as this uh, progressive bastion as it was viewed in our parents' generation. As far as progressive Zionism goes, it's dead. I mean, you can't be moved by uh, videos of Black people being brutalized by police in the United States and then just shrug your shoulders at the violent displacement of uh, Palestinians we're seeing now in Sheikh Jarrah and elsewhere uh, in the West Bank and Jerusalem on a daily basis, not to mention the uh, brutal siege of Gaza. So you see that progressive Jews are becoming more uh, attuned to this reality and are questioning um, the extent uh, to which um, we ought to be supporting this. Michael, what's your take? What's the future of progressive Zionism in Canada? Well, in a word, it's louder. And the important question that I think needs to be associated with that, that Jeremy just did a really excellent job capturing is what is the present reality of progressive Zionism in Canada? And I want to say that I really understand uh, Jeremy's frustrations. He's pointing to a lot of facts about the situation that uh, a lot of people look at with uh, a real sense of frustration. And so for me, I think to my own experience as someone who really loves Israel, but, you know, is just kind of tired of waiting for the promise of peace to come and for the promise that the human rights abuses we've seen are going to end at some time in the future. And I also can understand why a lot of people look at that and say, well, you know, so what's the point anymore? I'm really lucky that I found JSpace Canada and connected me with you know, all sorts of wonderful people. And I got to be a part of some really amazing conversations that helped me see that within Canada, there really is this amazing progressive Zionist space. But the truth is, we are a small organization and there are a lot of other folks out there who have yet to really be connected with us and they feel exactly what Jeremy was saying. They essentially feel like, you know, like they're, they're drowning. And so I think that, you know, where JSpace is going to be going uh, in this year and in the future is to really build up our organization. This is a moment of uh, really significant renewal, and our goal is to reach every single one of those Canadians out there who feels exactly as Jeremy was saying, so that we can collectively um, raise our voices and, and become a lot louder and ideally build the kind of Jewish community here in Canada that models the values that we'd like to see throughout the Jewish world and especially within Israel. Sharon. What do you have to say? Uh, I, I I think that uh, the progressive Zionist ideology and the the progressive uh, progressives in relation to Zionism is in huge huge trouble unless something drastically change. And it is because the voices that I hear right now, I there is um, this incredible misconception that somehow because we're progressive, somehow because we care for the Palestinians. Some we care. We care for gay rights and environment and all that. Something we have to be apologetic about Israel. Um, I, 
I actually, unlike the uh, two guys before, believe that Israel is one of the most progressive countries in the world, right? And I actually um, do, do. I believe that the that the message that I hear before is a reflection of this massive marketing that has been implemented since the '60s, right? To to create this idea that in order to th to love Israel and to think that Israel is a great country, you have to be right-wing. So I agree with Jeremy that there is an issue that somehow right-wing is associated with Israel. What I disagree with is the reality that 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 Israel is actually that, that supporting the idea that uh, Jews have the right to self-identify, the indigenous people of the region, right, is not a right-wing idea. It is... Uh, a very progressive and very left-leaning uh, left idea, which has been marketed to the right people. So we, unless there's a major, major change, and unless we hear less of voices like this, they keep on apologizing, keep on saying, which is rare, by the way, in in left-leaning group, when it comes to any any other issue, left-leaning people are strong. The, the, the feminist movement is unapologetic. The environmental movement is is asking for drastic change about Israel. Oh, you know, Israel is sort of maybe okay. I don't know. Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. No, right? There is something very, very progressive about fighting for the indigenous people of the region to actually self-identify and, and fight the people that actually want to commit genocide against them. And I'm referring to Israelis. I know it probably for you it sounds like I'm talking about Palestinians, but nobody's committing genocide about the Palestinians. That the, the idea, and I will finish my thought, the idea that... Uh, from the river to the sea continuously preached is a genocidal chant and this is what we need to fight so that's uh that's my really short so i know alana has something to say but it looks like jeremy really wants sure. to jump in and get on this so uh, from the river to the sea palestine will be free is not a genocidal chant it's calling for everyone between the river and the sea the mediterranean jordan to have equal rights, which is an anti-Zionist chant because Zionism, I mean, if you talk to any Palestinian person, is the ideology that um, we need to create a Jewish state in land that was largely inhabited by non-Jews. And so how do you do that? Well, you need to uh, do what the early Zionist leaders called transfer, right? get rid of power and, and 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 that was cause of the nakba um so um you know to to say that the palestinians are you know trying to commit genocide against israel um and then going and saying that um you know actually um you know israel is this uh progressive um, idea I, is, in my view, completely uh, a historical. Okay, I, I think it, it completely historical. I don't know about you. The biggest gay, gay pride, great pride parade in the Middle East. The Israel going to every mission across the world. The technologies about saving environment. I don't know why you feel it's historical, right? Israel continuously is building and 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 pr promoting um, progressive uh, progressive missions. This. And the fact that you use the language Nakba, the fact you're you have fell to the marketing of of the anti-Israel marketing machine, right? This is the, it's not even beneficial to the Palestinians, right? The idea, all this apologizing and everything is not accepting that the Palestinian narrative is in trouble because they're pretty much 
one notch down uh, in a situation comparable to to North Korea when they're they're being controlled by their own dictatorship, that they're being brainwashed in schools, there is showing that you UNRWA funds are actually going to to uh, UNRWA funds going to Hamas based education in schools to brainwash kids to create to turn them into child soldiers. They're stuck in such a tough situation, right? And it's almost like North Korea, in a way, beside that, in this way, if you would be, if North Korea would actually be able to blame South Korea for all their problems, right? You, if you actually are progressive, if you actually want to fix Palestinian issues, you got to get off this, this crazy boat that Israel is at fault for everything that is out there. You actually need to solve Palestinian problems by admitting what is the real concern, right? So go ahead, Ilana. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to jump in. It's interesting to me because we brought on a few different voices who all identify as leftist, but it seems like we have a few different opinions. And I think that is part of the problem that I'm seeing in the community as someone who myself identifies as a progressive Zionist. And I don't even know if I fit into any of the boxes that the three of you just put out there because I do support Israel, but I also feel sympathetic towards the Palestinian cause. But I don't like to use the word occupation except for in the areas that are actually like not ours to take. Um, I don't like using the term ethnic cleansing really on either end. And so how do we move forward as a community when even the left itself has all these different strands? Like to me, the the voices that seem to be the loudest are the anti-Zionist voices on the far left. And then the very, you know, loud voices on the far right. And I'm not seeing a lot of the in-between, which I'm maybe we'd call the more moderate voice or like in, in this case, because it seems to be kind of somewhere in the middle where they're kind of sympathetic to both sides, but that's not what I'm hearing. It kind of sounds like some people on the panel right now are a little bit further left and then a little bit more close to the center and then a little maybe leaning over the center. So what are your takes on that? Uh, so I'd, I'd love to jump in and address that. That's right. But I do want to just address one thing that uh, Sharon said, because I just want to say, as a gay man, I don't in any way feel that is the fact that I can go to Israel and go to a gay bar and go to the Pride Parade in any way justifies the fact that a family of 15 yesterday was kicked out of their home in the middle of winter. It doesn't justify that. Um, and I love Israel. And absolutely, I think Israel's uh, promotion of gay rights, which is not complete and has room to go, uh, is something that helps me with my cultural identity and my personal identity and speaks to the important connection but it in no way justifies the human rights abuses. But I think, you know, it's so interesting because we have this debate going on between uh, Jeremy and Sharon and Alana, you just, you hit the, the hammer right on the nail there because it, it's interesting. It's like we all agree, it seems, with a two-state solution and yet we're having this debate. And so if everyone agrees with a two-state solution, but we don't agree with each other, then what's the difference between us and what is a progressive Zionist? So my answer to that would be, that there is a, you know, most Canadian Jews, like most world Jews, support a two-state solution. But the big difference is between those, on the one hand, who, you know, they're, they're, they, they're very worried that they think there's no partner for peace. And they're very focused on many of the things that Sharon was talking about in terms of, you know, the other side and what the other side has done that's wrong. And what do they mean by river to the sea? And then there's other folks who are a little bit more focused with the urgency of making sure that the two-state solution is even possible by doing the things that Israel can do themselves now. And in fact, I think that we as a Canadian Jewish community need to not just be talking about the anti-Zionists and river to the sea, et cetera, but looking at things that we can do 
ourselves as our own community. So and I have a good example here. Why is it that there are maps within our own institutions and community centers that don't show the green line? I mean, I grew up in the Jewish day school system. I grew up, you know, attending all sorts of, of Jewish programming. This is very much my community, where I come from. And the truth is that there are things that we do in our own community in the way that we talk about these issues that is undermining the very idea of the two-state solution that we say we all support. And I think that what a progressive Zionist is, it is someone who wants to see real change now and for us to do what we can without just focusing on, well, why is the other side not ideal? Jeremy wanted to jump in here for a second. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I agree with uh, much of what Michael just said. I, I would just emphasize that um, I think at this point, two-state solution is a fantasy. I mean, where where is the Palestinian state going to be? Like in between the settlements that have, right? There's no, um, um, it, it wouldn't be contiguous. It wouldn't be a state in a meaningful sense of the term. So I, you know, I do think um, that we as Jews need to think beyond the two-state solution and um, perhaps let go of this notion that the only thing uh, preventing the next Holocaust is a uh, militarized Jewish state that, um, you know, uh, practices apartheid. I mean, um, Human Rights Watch um, issued a report, an incredibly uh, in-depth report that had been many years in the making that concluded that Israel's practicing apartheid, B'Tselem, the Israeli human rights, the the uh, primary Israeli human rights organization also reached that conclusion. Um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Um, Archbishop you know, spent... Desmond Tutu was a full anti-Semite. He actually, actually used anti-Semite language. Mm -hmm. I can't believe you, you're using him. He actually used clear, <laughs> straightforward anti-Semitic, non-relevant to Israel. He was a full-fledged anti-Semite. I can't believe you used him no, as no. a source. But go ahead. Sorry. I, I didn't want to interrupt. That was not fair on my part. Go ahead, Jeremy. No, it's, it, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but Archbishop Desmond Tutu is not an anti-Semite. Uh, he did, however, go to Palestine and did, uh, um, you know, outline the clear parallels uh, between uh, his own experience as a black man in South Africa under apartheid and what Palestinians have to go through on a daily basis. And um, in fact, uh, said that in some instances that uh, Israel's treatment of Palestinians was worse. Um, and so to just... Well, Jeremy, I, I'm just curious. Do you believe that the state of Israel should exist at all for the Jewish people? Well, the short answer is no. Uh, the long answer, I mean, I think it's important to make a distinction between uh, cultural Zionism and political Zionism, right? I mean, cultural Zionism, um, you know, just this sense of attachment and this, the, the, this longing to live in the Holy Land among Jews is, you know, perfectly legitimate. And I support, look, I've been to Israel many times. I've been to the occupied West Bank once. And, uh, you know, when I go to Israel, um, there's still that sense of, you know, when I first went there as a kid, just seeing, um, you know, all these signs in Hebrew and, you know, Jewish uh, street vendors and, you know, all these things that uh, as a kid, I, you know, I thought, was before I knew anything about the Nakba, about um, displacement, um, about all these, um, you know, horrific abuses that Israel commits, there's still 
um, when, you know, when I go back there, there is still that sense of belonging. And I think that's a good thing. Um, the, the, the problem as I see it is the, uh, the, um, state power, the, you know, use of, uh, um, you know, militarism and, you know, the, the, the sort of colonial, um, attributes of the state of Israel that are, you know, I think increasingly apparent. If I can jump in here for a second. So, um, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to shift the conversation back towards like, um, Canadian Jews and, and, and the people that are here right now, because like I said, it, um, what Alana pointed out is that there does seem to be a big spectrum here. Right. And it seems like, you know, Jeremy's definition of Zionism may not be the, um, definition that Michael or Sharon are accepting. Sharon's is Jeremy a Zionist? He's a cult. He, he, you he a cult, Jeremy, do you consider or a cultural a Zionist? Zionist at some point? Right. You, there's, there's an appreciation. No, sure. You're not a political Zionist. Yeah, so there's this cultural Zionism that you appreciate and the political Zionism, which you don't, and you're willing to bifurcate the two. Sharon's definition of progressivism, he's willing to bifurcate between everything that is progressive um, except for um, what Jeremy might refer to as uh, imperialism or colonialism, and that that is um, not part of uh, his progressivism, um, and that everything else, you know, is there. Michael sort of is trying to balance between the two. Um, if I can take that a step back and really, I have, I've had this observation for a long time, and I'm really curious what you guys think um, based on all of these like positions, because we seem to have a lot of different positions in Canada. And, and I think that there is an increased, uh, increasing plurality of voices that are on the left within um, Canada. Um, especially in the Canadian Jewish community with regards to Zionism. And at some point, um, the establishment Jewish community um, has been decided, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, there was like a, a secret meeting where they decided to marginalize all voices on the left. Um, but at some point that seems to have happened. And that despite the fact that there is a plurality of all of these voices showing up, regardless of whether you are, um, you know, anti-political Zionism, pro-cultural Zionism, or somewhere in the middle, or um, even accepting that uh, Palestinians deserve a place to live, which is like, you know, marginally, like the nice thing to do, right? <laughs> At the very, very least, you know, you can, you can believe that as opposed to saying from the river to the sea, Israel shall be free, right? Which is the view of a lot of people, right? All of those voices have been marginalized and do not um, show up in the establishment discourse that we see um, in the Canadian Jewish community. Um, is this, what, what's your experience of this? Um, wh how do you think we get this plurality of voices to be elevated? What can we do to move this forward? And I think that, Sharon, you do still feel marginalized, even though you feel like you are, um, quote unquote, a progressive Zionist, but you really are, you know, moving this idea of like, my Zionism is the thing that is not, that is not necessarily attached to the progressivism. Um, well, so, so I actually disagree with go you. Ahead. My <laughs> Zionism is very much... Sorry. The, no, I'm the, saying that, that my, my, my point, what I was saying, Sharon, was that, um, you know, Michael and Jeremy might not agree that your Zionism is progressive because you seem to be saying that all the other issues are progressive, but but my Zionism is unapologetic and, and pro, you know, whatever. And progressive. So maybe but you can help us define what progressive actually, is and then we can move I forward. I actually do not. I actually know. I don't want. Jeremy seems like a nice person, and I'm sure we will be <laughs> amazing buddies when we hang him beer. But in this case, in this debate, I don't consider him Zionist or progressive, right? I consider him le extreme left. So how do you extreme how do you left, define in my opinion, progressive? Are not progressive. Progressive for me is people that move social uh, social ideas forward. They first of all they got to make solutions, which is a very big weakness 
and a lot of left ideas. My, I love the Michael Brada discussion of solution, but I will answer. Uh, but to answer ideas, so you want to take on social ideas, anything from the LGBTQ community, environment, human rights, Palestinians' uh, uh, well-being in this context, right? This is, and you want to move those ideas forward. This is what progressive is, right? To um, and of course taking care of indig indigenous rights, which Jews have to the land. That's also a progressive idea. I'm not separating progressive from Zionism. I am saying that Zionism is actually very much progressive, and I think that some right-wing fascists have done some incredible marketing. Right. And I know that this is a new ideas and I know it's controversial what I'm saying, but I actually believe that in the 60s, once um, once the uh, once the the Arabs realized that they cannot destroy Israel in a physical manner, they invested in marketing. Qatar as Israel shown, did the same. Israel did the same thing. Also, they just called it Hasbara. I don't, so so I hear that all the time. I have never been to Hasbara session. I never talked to Hasbara people. I, this is a left wing thing with Hasbara. I have done all my research. I have I'm sitting. I wrote my own book. Never looked at one Asbara thing. Asbara is a popular thing to say in the extreme left apologetic movement. Never talked to an Asbara person in my life. Every time that I debate with people in Quora, is a you just repeating Asbara. I don't know what I never met an Asbara person in my life. Right. <laughs> so it's nonsense, Abby. Would it be possible um, just to offer something that I think might be a little bit helpful just for you know everyone here and and also listeners at home. The the best definitions or or method of categorizing these different camps that I've seen is in a book called Trouble in the Trouble in the Tribe by Dove Waxman, and and he has a really great and there's actually a one pager chart that that folks can look up that puts a distinction between what he calls the right, the center right, the center left, and the left. I think it's really helpful. But it, we shouldn't get too drawn into it, right? These categories can be useful as a way of guiding our conversation so we all sort of understand each other. But at the end of the day, that's not something that you meaningfully engage with in your everyday life. It's actually what um, Alana was talking about, which I think is, 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 I believe it was you, Alana, was talking about that is a little more interesting, which is uh, the division in the community that a lot of us are facing. And, and, and Avi, specifically, I think what you were getting at in terms of the way that that manifests in particular for Jews that are more to the left on these issues. And that I think is a little bit more interesting than just how you define these different camps, because that experience of feeling as though you've been silenced, like you can't, you know, mention what you want to say at the Shabbat dinner table, or it's going to cause trouble. That is a really important experience that I think uh, a lot of folks have, not just in Canada, but actually throughout the Jewish world. Sure. Um, Sharon, I actually I wanted to hear the rest of your thoughts on how you define your uh, progressive Zionism, specifically about Israel, because I actually think that I might be the most aligned with you out of the panelists right now, which is interesting, um, because I myself really struggle, and I've written an article about this for the CJN in the past, around the time of the conflict, is that I identified as a leftist until what happened recently in Israel, and I saw all of the propaganda that was being released, and I found myself feeling really unsafe in leftist circles because I do sympathize with what's going on, and I do want a two-state solution, but at the same time, I really do value the indigeneity and history and what Israel means for the Jews as a safe place and as a place that we can return home to. 
Um, so I even find that I don't fit into a lot of the leftist conversations on Zionism. And then where does that really leave me? And so when I um, decided to start using the word progressive Zionist, that was kind of my way of saying, okay, well, I am still a left-leaning person, but I also support the state of Israel. That doesn't mean I support every policy of the Israeli government. That doesn't mean that I don't support Palestinian rights, but that does, it, give, it gave me a framework. Is that kind of where you're coming from or what, what's the nuance there? I, I will take it. So, so it's, there's one thing, right? I consider myself a lefty. I consider myself a progressive. I know it might sound funny for certain people. I actually take on the some old school mentality of lefty, left, leftyism, ideology where where there is no apology, right? That when you needed to fight for women's rights, right, you fought hard, right? And I'm actually refuse to 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 let those so-called progressives that are extreme left to hijack what I what really is progressive. So what are you fighting? What, so what uh, are you is, fighting? This for? is what the fight is. What what are you fighting fi in Israel specifically? Like what? Well, I'm fighting for for two state solution, okay. peace. For, for for the well-being of Palestinians, exactly like everybody else. I love that Michael mentioned talking about creating a solution. My solution is actually completely different than the average uh, the average solution for the Palestinians. Like you, Ilana, I'm very alienated, and but I feel that the majority of Zionists are actually stuck in this place that they don't know how to define themselves. And I am taking back, first of all, the progressive word, Right, it doesn't belong to the crazy anti-Israel genocidal people that they think they're being progressive. I don't agree with that. I think that Israel is a progressive Zionism is very much a progressive ideology, and I will fight for that. Right, I I don't belong in the right right wing. I was a national chair of Neighborhood Canada. I was I, I I couldn't get anything done because they they just everything that I said. And I was trying to change Nabrith a long time ago, and it's like made no sense. Uh, and I see Jeremy wants to talk, and I don't want to hijack the conversation. So go ahead. Uh, I 100% agree with Michael about having these uh, um, inter-communal uh, uh, discussions and debates and um, having these conversations that may be very uncomfortable, but I would say we need to go beyond that. And I, I don't think Michael would deny this and have these conversations with Palestinians. If you're on a university campus and you've been told that it's the cesspool of anti-Semitism and, 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 and just the fact that there are groups promoting divestment from uh, companies who profit from Israel's apartheid regime, like have Talk, instead, when you pass by that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, students against Israeli apartheid or students for justice in Palestine stable and trembling in fear, talk to them and engage them in a good faith discussion about what their concerns are. And beyond that, also build solidarity with other marginalized communities like indigenous uh, Canadian communities like, you know, Black Lives Matter movement. And yeah, it, with Palestinians. Um, because I, you know, I think when you do have these conversations, when you're actually, uh, listening and not just, uh, you know, uh, going up to them and trying to own them with like your, you know, your own historical narrative, um, I think you'll realize that, um, and obviously there's anti-Semitism everywhere, but, um, the, the issue that, um, the vast majority of Palestine solidarity activists have with 
Israel is with Zionism, not with Jews. And I think it's crucial that we acknowledge that distinction. And now it's time for our Nachas of the Week, where we like to talk about what's newish and Jewish and make us feel good uh, about the Jewish world of this week. David, what's your Nachas? It's going to have to go to Jamie Dunstan and Verb Theater in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, this week I had the opportunity to workshop my play for three days. Uh, it is a very Jewish-heavy themed play, so I'm really grateful to all the opportunities that I had to actually sit in a room with five other actors, distance, masked, and really do a deep dive into this work uh, that I'm very excited to hopefully one day present to the greater public. Are we going to have a, a stage reading premiere on Bonjour High? I think we absolutely should. Uh, a la Vilatka who couldn't stop screaming. <laughs> oh. I can put on like two, how many characters are in your play? Like Five, five actors. Five. I was going to say five. I'll just put on five different voices. I'll, I can play all the characters. Well, it, remember I reached out to you earlier and I said I was looking for a Mizrahi actor. So listeners, if any of you know a Mizrahi actor in Canada, uh, please, in the Slack channel, drop us a line. Let us know because uh, I'm looking for a female 30 to 40 uh, and I'm having a hard time finding someone. Okay. Well, there we go. Alana, what's your nachas? So my nachas is there was a very funny incident that came to light on Twitter recently. Um, a Netflix show from Argentina called El Marginal featured a clip with a man wearing a sweater with a giant NCSY logo on it. And Jewish Twitter <laughs> ate it up. And there was a lot of questions about whether the wardrobe crew knew why that... Uh, sweater was on the show whether it was on purpose or total coincidence but there was some jewish rep with some like gang members wearing ncsy sweaters it was hilarious well just one guy was, was it like a national ncsy was it a region was it like a specific it was like, new york upper up like upstate new york upstate new york ncsy i'll post the link we can we can post Please it in the do. in the show I notes i wait to see this oh my god Abby, what's your nachos? um i would like to uh talk about lior cole um lior cole is an information science student at cornell and a high fashion runway model. Uh, I read about her in Vogue, but apparently she had a bit of uh, write-ups a, a few months ago. Um, but Vogue was writing about her. And of course, Vogue says she's a model who also happens to be an information science student. Like, no, 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 no. She is a wonderful person who also happens to be able to model and does so. Um, so she's an information science student. She used AI um, to develop this thing that she ha calls the robo-rabbi. Uh, I'm going to be out of a job soon, um, where you input your Parsha and it gives you challenges and ethical like move things to what? like self-improve based on your Torah portion of like your bar mitzvah or your bat mitzvah. Um, it like, it's, I don't like, yeah, I don't know. Kind of cool. That sounds like if the Jetsons did like a Jewish episode, that's what yeah, it would look like. So the Robo Rabbi. You're right. This this is the end of of rabbis. Wow. The end of I'm okay. Like I think that we should um, get to the point where we uh, educate ourselves out of jobs. But that we can do a whole segment on that another time. Um, but yeah. Uh, so I would like to shout out Lior Cole for that and uh, develop the Robo Rabbi. If you want more uh, input and advice, I would love to help work on that project. Um, if you're even listening. Anyways, 
Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week of January 21st, Shabbat Yitro. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production is by Andre Goulet. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our new page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice, and as always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. Love you.